Please be seated. Good morning, family. It's great to see all of you here this morning. Um, if you've been with us at all the last, I guess the last month, we've been in a sermon series um, called Entrusted, in which we're looking at a great theme of Scripture, which is the theme of stewardship. Uh, we've seen that being a steward basically means to be given something very precious uh, that you're called to use uh, for the purpose of the one who owns it. Uh, we've looked at what it means to steward the earth, creation. We've looked at what it means to steward wealth. Uh, we've looked at what it means to steward our, our vocations and our work. Um, and today we're looking at what does it mean to steward our gifts. We've been mostly in the Old Testament, uh, mostly in Genesis 1 and 2 for the last four weeks. And we're, so these last two weeks, we're going to shift to the New Testament and what it has to say about stewardship. So today we're looking at one of Jesus' parables from the Gospels. Uh, and then next week, uh, we'll be looking at some writings of St. Paul from his epistles. So would you join me as we turn to God's word from Matthew 25? This is one of Jesus' most famous stories. It's certainly the, the most famous story he told about stewardship. So let's hear God's word. Jesus said, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more. So also he who had the two talents made two more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, look, you delivered me five, and here I've made five more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then he who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has 10. For to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Scary story. When you're a kid, adults tell scary stories to encourage good behavior. Right? Don't swallow that gum. It'll stay in your stomach for seven years. Or don't cross your eyes. You know that little boy who crossed his eyes and his eyes stuck like that? Uh, Kathy White told me that her grandmother, who was German, told her a German story about a little boy who sucked his thumb too much and a goblin came in the middle of the night and cut it off. <laughs> so adult, adults tell these, tell these stories to kids. Um, 
And kids, you know, you know this, right? It's not because they're trying to scare you. Um, well, maybe a little bit, but it's mostly because um, th- they love you. They love you. Your grandmas love you. Your moms, your dads love you. And they, they want to encourage not just good behavior. They want you to become a mature human being. They want to, they want to frankly, save you and preserve you from, from danger and from harm. That's why adults tell scary stories. This story I like to affectionately call Jesus's scary stewardship story. And it is scary indeed, right? I mean, outer darkness, getting cast out, stripped of everything you have, experiencing weeping and gnashing of teeth, whatever that is. And I just want to say up front here that Jesus doesn't tell these stories just like this one to, to just scare us, but it's because he loves us. It's because he really, really loves us. And he loves you, and he does not want you to live a life of futility and meaninglessness, and he certainly does not want you to live an eternity in futility and meaninglessness. Jesus, unlike your Aunt Bertha, is actually telling a story that is true. That according to him, stewardship, this thing that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, is so important, it's actually a life and death matter. Stewardship is actually an activity of eternal consequences. And so he tells this story to us because he loves us and he wants us to have life that is truly life. So here's the theme of Jesus' story and really the simple theme of the sermon today. In the temporary absence of Jesus, our calling as stewards is to faithfully work with whatever gifts our master has given to us. In the temporary absence of Jesus, our calling is this, to faithfully work with whatever gifts our master has entrusted to us. So just real simple today, let's look at this story together. Once upon a time, there was a man who went on a journey and called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now let's, let's get some context here. We've just kind of randomly jumped into the book of Matthew. In these two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is telling some stories to his friends, his disciples, to prepare them for what is about to happen. Jesus is already in Jerusalem with his disciples. He knows he's about to be killed and he's going to rise from the dead and he's going to ascend to the Father, and he's going to go away for a while. And Jesus tells a series of stories to prep his disciples for how to live while he's away. We talk about the Advent. We're about to start Advent, and we talk about what Advent means. It means coming. There's two comings of Jesus that we'll be celebrating as Advent approaches. You know, the first is the first coming of Jesus. That's the cute one where Jesus comes, you know, as a baby in the manger, and then he And then he grows up and he becomes a servant king and he dies for our sin. I mean, that's the first coming of Jesus. But Jesus also speaks of the second advent, the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus comes again, not just as a servant, but as the judge and as the king. And so Jesus tells these stories to teach his disciples, here's how you live in between those two dots. This is how you're supposed to live faithfully in your life. And you guys are a part of that. You're right there. You're right in between the first and second coming of Jesus, when he came and when he will come again. How are you supposed to live in the in-between time? So Jesus tells a story about a master 
who entrusts his servants with some talents. And this is about what his servants should do in the meantime. So let's talk about the talents for a moment. A talent was a literal unit of money at the time in the Greco-Roman world. It was actually the, 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 the highest amount within the Greek uh, monetary system. And it was actually a lot of money. A talent in that time period was probably worth about 15 to 20 years of wages. So if you calculate, you know, if you sort of translate that into our time, if average American wage is about $60,000 a year, and you calculate that over 15 to 20 years, it's about $1.2 million. I didn't do that in my head. I calculated it beforehand. <laughs> it's about $1.2 million. So you, what you can see from the verse start is that this is an exceedingly generous master. This was unheard of in the ancient world. No master would have entrusted that kind of wealth and, and just given free reign to do what they wanted with it to his servants. This master is exceedingly, some would say stupidly generous. And so that's the first thing that we learn from this story is that Jesus is just an exceedingly generous master and king. It's not just to the guy with 10, it's the guy with the five and the one too. I mean, $1.2 million, y'all, they're all rolling in it. And so what we learn here uh, is that first that he is a generous master with his talents and many people have debated over the years of what do these talents signify? Are they supposed to represent our, our money, our actual money? Or is this supposed to represent your, your, your skills and abilities? That's actually the word where talent comes from. It's from this parable. Um, are you, is this supposed to represent your time that we all have in our possession? Is this supposed to represent your body or your skills, or your abilities, or capacities with your body? Is this supposed to represent your work or your vocation or your opportunities? Which is it, friends? Well, here's the answer. Yes. All of the above. I, I really think that Jesus is deliberately vague in order to be all-inclusive that basically the talents represent every single thing from your body to your abilities to your skills to your time to your capacities to your experience to your vocation to your job, everything that Jesus has given you that he has entrusted to your care to use for him. I love what the commentator Dale Bruner says. He says, the talents represent whatever the Lord gives now and will ask about later. So here's a powerful lesson for us. To each of us who know Jesus... Our master has poured out on you excessively generous gifts. The one, the five, the ten, that's not supposed to mean that, you know, some people are more talented than others. It's just supposed to represent difference, that we all have a different set of gifts. And Jesus knows exactly how much and what kind to give to each of us. It says this in Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then later he says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Jesus apportioned it. He's decided what to give you and he has entrusted that to you. Every person, each one of you is wonderfully unique, excessively gifted, entrusted with much grace. The church of Jesus is not like a basketball game where 10 talented people are running around on the court and everyone else is watching. No, in the church of Jesus, everybody's on the court. I know that's confusing. The analogy breaks down a little bit, but everybody's on the court. Everybody's wearing a uniform. Everybody gets the ball. In the kingdom of Jesus, there's no bench warmers. There's no spectators. Everybody's playing because everyone from the, the smallest to the strongest, to the youngest, to the oldest, to the most able-bodied, to the disabled, Every single one of us is given exceedingly good, excessively generous gifts from Jesus through his spirit to use for his kingdom. So the sin of the third servant was that he just didn't think he mattered all that much. 
to the master. He didn't think that his gifts were all that big of a deal. That, you know, it's just one. I don't have five. I don't have ten. So he stuffed them away. Right? He thought too low of himself. Low, too low of his Some of you struggle with that. I have struggled with that. With my sense of worth and sense of value. Do any of you wrestle with that about yourself? This truth of this passage is, is that you are so valuable to Jesus. He has entrusted you with so much and given you so many gifts. Your life has so much purpose. You've been given a job to do in the eternal mission of Jesus Christ as he advances his kingdom. You know, I love uh, the story about my acquaintance and friend Bob Lupton, who was basically just bench warming a pew down in a church in Atlanta for a while. And uh, people would ask him to do various things. Hey, Bob, would you um, teach Sunday school? No, I hate kids. They said, oh, Bob, what about, you want to usher? No, I don't like to talk to people. Uh, you want to be on this committee, Bob? No, I, I, I don't like meetings. So Bob started getting discouraged. Like, do I, is, is there anything that I really have to contribute to Jesus and his kingdom? And then, till one day, one of his friends said to him, Bob, look, do you see, you have said so much, you've been a fabulously successful businessman. You have great business acumen. You have the spiritual gift of deal-making. Do you see that? Are you putting that to use for Jesus Christ? And it was like Bob just woke up. He was like, oh my goodness. You're right. All of these things, they weren't just given to me to make money and be successful. They're given for Christ and his kingdom. And he just started putting them to work. And y'all, it's been amazing. Last 20 years, Bob has helped to develop in Atlanta one of the most massive and successful affordable housing initiatives in the entire United States. It's become a model that other, other cities now study. And so consider your gifts, not just your spiritual gifts that you might use on a Sunday morning or something or within a Bible study, but your time, your upbringing, your talents and passions, your unique experience, your personality, your family, your particular way of seeing things, even your losses and pain and failures. All of these things are gifts given to you in love to use for Jesus in his kingdom. I love what John Stott writes. He says, we should talk to ourselves like this. I am a unique person. My uniqueness is due to my genetic endowment, my inherited personality and temperament, my parentage, upbringing, and education, my talents, inclinations, and interests, my new birth, and spiritual gifts. By the grace of God, I am who I am. How then can I, as a unique person, God has made me to be, be stretched in the service of Christ and of his people so that nothing he has given me is wasted and everything has given me is used. I just got to tell you all this. So after the last service, one of our students, a little uh, ninth grader, um, she came up to me after the service and she said, you know what? I just am so encouraged, Pastor Corey, because during the prayer of confession, I was confessing my pride because I was so good at basketball. And I just feel so awesome about that. And then she said, but then during the sermon, I realized this is something that Jesus gave me. I'm really good at it. And that I can play for, for him. And she was, it like transformed or just that simple idea that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's, it's using what gifts God has given you that you didn't create for yourself and, and owning those gifts and then using them for the service of Jesus, his glory and his kingdom in the world. Isn't that amazing? Transforms even a ninth grader's heart. So friends, let's move on in the story. What do the servants do? Well, verse 16, the five-talent guy went at once and traded and made five talents more. I love that, that at once it sort of signifies that they're excited. They're like, man, this is awesome. You know, look at all this stuff that the master gave us. 
Oh, the possibilities. Oh, the opportunities. Oh, the ways that we can make this money at work in the world. And the sense of the text is that they just got creative. They're innovative. They're entrepreneurs. They're trading lands. They're buying up fields. They're doing this, you know, all this stuff. And they're making bank here. And it's just beautiful. They're, they're multiplying it. And they're having fun with it. And the point is this, is that they're not just taking the money and going buying, you know, oxes and donkeys for themselves or whatever it was that ancient people liked. Uh, they, they were investing the money for the master's gain. And it was an adventurous, exciting experience for them. I love that because sometimes, you know, stewardship, we, it sounds like such a boring word. And we say, oh, here comes stewardship season. I guess I'll give. I guess I'll serve. I guess I'll volunteer. And we just, you know, the church, we make it just such like a boring enterprise, so humdrum. But for to Jesus, this is like an adventure to say, oh my goodness, look what Jesus, the master, has given to me. All of these talents, all of this money, all of these opportunities, all of this skill, all of this experience. How am I going to join in the adventure of the kingdom of Jesus and put this to work to do stuff for him? I mean, it's just, it's an adventure. That's how Jesus sees stewardship. But not the third guy. The third guy doesn't see it that way. Very differently than the other two, he takes his talent, digs a hole in the ground, hides the money away. He's not excited. He didn't get busy. He doesn't see his gift as something to be invested for the master's gain. He's much more concerned about, it says he's afraid. He's concerned about himself, his own comfort, his own security. He doesn't want to take any risks. He buries it away. Some people think that Jesus actually had specific people in mind as he shared this. Uh, it could be the Pharisees who were so absorbed with themselves and being right that they condemned people around them rather than sharing the love of God. There was another group at the time called the Qumran community. It was a Jewish sect that went away into the desert and dug caves. See that word in the parable? They dug caves and they hid away in the caves to keep themselves from being polluted by the world. So whoever Jesus has in mind, he was speaking about people who were given generous gifts, but instead of using them to joyfully serve the master, they stuffed their gifts away. They isolated themselves. They focused on their own comfort and security, and they do not use what they've been given for the king. So after a long time, the master comes back. This is where it gets a little scary. He comes to settle accounts. Now, this is something we don't talk about very much. It's not a happy thing or fun thing to talk about. It's an important thing, central to our faith. We say in the creed, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We truly do believe, friends, that the same Jesus who once came as an obscure, poor rabbi has risen from the dead, and he will come again as triumphant judge over the world. And that every person, including every single person in this room, will have to stand before Jesus Christ and actually be held accountable for the way that you have lived your life. Every single one of us will have a chat with Jesus about our stewardship. And look what happens. The first guy comes up, he says, Master, you gave me five talents, and look, I made five more. And the master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Come on in to the joy of the master. There's just joy everywhere. Do you see it? The servant's happy to see the master. Hey, you came back. The master's happy to see the servant. Hey, I'm here for you. 
And there's just, they're just happy. There's joy. He invites him into the joy of his feast. There's joy everywhere. Same with the second guy. Exact same thing. Note that the master says the very same words he says to the first guy. The point is not how much more the 10 guy got than the four guy or how the one person invested more than the other. That's not the point at all. The point is that just simple faithfulness, simple obedience. And notice that they were given much more back from the master than they invested. He says, I will set you over much as you come on in. It's a, I mean, I love this because it's a beautiful picture of what it's going to be like for us to enter into the new kingdom of Jesus. You know, we're, y'all, our future don't worry, our future is not some, some uh, lame, uh, cloudy castle where we play on harps. I mean, our future is a, a real, material, renewed, reconciled creation where Jesus will welcome us in and we will have feasts. We will have good food and good work and wonderful responsibility. And we will continue to be like on an adventure with Jesus, stewarding and working for him and all that he's given to us, being with each other in love. That's our future. And that's what Jesus has welcomed them in for. And what he's saying here is that all the time you have the opportunity to invest now in that future kingdom. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in that coming kingdom where you will have an eternal gain. You are always all the time either taking what Jesus has given you and investing it In this world, your own comfort, your own luxury, your own power now, or you are taking what Jesus has given you and you are investing it for that future world to come. It's like Jesus is an investment banker with a time machine, which would be amazing, right? I mean, do you know that if you you had a time machine and you were an investment banker right now, you could go back, let's say to 1957, when Disney had its first IPO. Everybody's talking about Disney right now and this new service. They're making bank, right? I mean, they're just killing it. Well, you could right now go back to 1957 and let's say put down $1,000 when they first had their IPO at $13 a share and then zoom back into the present. Guess what? You'd have $4 million, just like that. Well, Jesus says, that's the opportunity I'm offering you (laughs) right now, friends. Every little bit of time, every little bit of talent, every bit of little treasure that you invest now for Jesus, his kingdom and his purposes, you'll be making bank in the world to come. You are investing in your eternal life with God in the kingdom that is coming. You're not sacrificially losing. You are wisely gaining. Come on in to the joy of your master. Well, that just leaves the final servant. And he responds very differently. He says, Master, um, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Now, this doesn't go well. Master's angry. He strips everything he has, throws him out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and you might think, whoa, whoa bit of an overreaction, maybe. I mean, the guy just buried, it's not like he took it and spent it on debaucherous activity or something. He just buried it. But listen, note the words. Look carefully at his words. You are a hard man. His words are accusatory. He, in some ways, is playing the victim. He's blaming the master for his own wastefulness. He, 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 and let's be clear, he doesn't even actually know the master at all. He's not a hard man. He's an exceedingly good man. 
an exceedingly generous man. This servant doesn't know the master. He resents the master. He misrepresents the master, just like the serpent in Genesis 3 who told Adam and Eve, he can't be trusted. This man believes that. This master can't be trusted. I gotta do things my own way. And so he refuses the gift, buries the grace, lives for his own interests. And we don't know what darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth means, but it is clearly not good, and it is a symbol of hell, and it is somewhere that you do not want to be and that Jesus does not want you to be either. And that is the very reason why he is telling this story, to save us and to give us life that is truly life. In the absence of Jesus, we are called as his stewards to work faithfully with whatever he's entrusted to you. So just a couple of thoughts here as we close. I want you to take these two things away. First, know and use your gifts. Second, know and love the master. Know and use your gifts. As I said earlier, each of you has been given precious gifts that make you astonishing unique that only you can do. Your skills, abilities, spiritual gifts, interests, passions, personality, experience, family, all of these things have been given freely to you by Jesus, and they're given for the master's use so that Jesus Christ might spend you and what he's invested in you. I love what Lynn Miller writes. She says, the stewardship is the act of organizing your life so that God can spend you to take everything that you have, time, talent, treasure, surrender it all, put it to use of the adventure of serving Jesus. I love seeing how this happens, even in our church. Um, I love showing up on a Wednesday night and seeing scores of people giving up just a couple hours on a Wednesday night, taking precious time that Jesus has been entrusted and spending it in the use of tutoring many immigrant and refugee children in our community. I love seeing people like Elva White and Joni Wilson, who even in their limitations make uh, and send cards to people in our congregation who need encouragement. I love um, seeing people like Bob, who I mentioned earlier in Atlanta, Don, the used car salesman who I mentioned last week, um, teachers, architects, nurses, counselors, lawyers, business leaders. I love seeing people like you guys putting your vocational power at work to build a better city that helps humans flourish. Um, I love seeing families um, like the Murchies or the Getters or or Sarah or others in our church who see their lives and their families as opportunities to bring in children um, who need a forever home um, and to see their families themselves as gifts to be stewards. I love seeing some of you retirees who, uh, who are not wasting your retirement, but who are using it in just amazing ways to invest your talents and your time in younger leaders, to see them raised up for God and for his church. Um, I, I'm amazed by some of you families who have deliberately chosen to live below your means in order to generously give your money away for Jesus and his people and his kingdom. So there's an infinite number of ways to creatively use what Jesus has given for his purposes. And all of this, we remember that we only give what belongs to him. It's like when your kid comes up and says, hey, mom, dad, can I have five bucks to get you a present for your birthday? Well, guess what? You are gaining nothing back that you didn't already have. And it's like for Jesus, when you do things for him and when you spend yourself for him, you're, you're not giving him anything that is not already his. And yet he delights in you. He delights in your gift. He delights in the common work that you do together. So know and use your gifts. One last thing, though. Know and love 
the master. At first glance, it may seem, and I got to tell you, I did wrestle with this this week, because at first glance, uh, it seems like this passage might be contradicting the gospel of grace. Are you going to stand before the judgment seat and be let in on the basis of how hard you worked and how well you used your gifts and how busy you were? Um, is, that, is that the message here? And I want to be careful because I don't want us to think that you just have to be constantly busy working all the time and that any rest or any fun is wrong. I mean, like if Jesus just happens to show up when you're taking a nap or watching Netflix or football on TV, done, you know. I was going to let you in, but no more. No gnashing of teeth. That's, that is not, whoa, whoa. That's not the message of this text. The gospel is the gospel of grace. We are in the end saved not by our work and our faithfulness and our stewardship, but by the work and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, our Lord, his death and resurrection for us. And yet, this is a scary story. And Jesus told scary stories to wake us up. Jesus said, you can tell a, a judge a tree by its fruit, which means the fruit does not give life to the tree. The fruit tells us if the tree has life. And in the same way, Jesus is clearly saying that our stewardship does not save us, and yet our stewardship demonstrates whether or not we are saved. And so I just want to say, if you're out there, uh, you might be wasting your life. You might be wasting your money. You might be wasting your time and your talents and your gifts. You are throwing them away, spending them on yourself in your own gain. And I just, wanna, I just want you to hear the warning of Jesus. It is a warning of love. He's inviting you out of a life and eternity of futility and loss. And he is inviting you into a kingdom of infinite gain. Would you heed the warning and receive the love? Receive the gift of grace? The same man who told this story. And just a few days later, he himself would be dragged into a mock court and crucified. He himself would be cast out into utter darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He himself would suffer hell and condemnation on our behalf. This is no cruel master. This is a master who loves you and who at the cost of his own life was willing to lose everything that you might be saved and brought into eternal life with God forever. So friends, that's the invitation. It's not an invitation to begrudging burden. It is an invitation to joy. Would you come on in to the joy of the master? Would you receive his grace, receive his mercy? Would you know the kindness of the master's heart? Would you receive everything that he's given you? And then would you in return spend everything, all that he's given you for him, the one who loves you unto death? That's the invitation. Would you receive it? Let's pray. We do thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the good steward. You are the one who took everything. You are really the only one, the only faithful steward, who took everything that the Father gave you and you spent it all, not on yourself, but for the life of the world. Help us to be those who respond in kind to you, taking what you've given us and giving it back unto you for your work, that we might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.